Welcome to The Jewelry District, a podcast by JCK. Today, Rob Bates and Victoria Gamalski talk with Casey Melvin, co-founder and co-CEO of The Future of Jewelry. Hey everyone, welcome to the Jewelry District. This is Victoria Gamelski, Editor-in-Chief of JCK and jckonline.com, calling in as always from my office in LA, and I'm with... Rob Bates, News Director of JCK, jckonline.com, calling in, uh, I won't call it an office, but it's a uh, part of my house in uh, newly reopened New York City. California's newly reopened now. Apparently. I mean, I don't really know what that means in practice, because I guess you don't have to wear masks around anymore. I don't know. Yeah, there's no limit. You just go crazy now. Go to places where there's like 30 people. It was like 106 yesterday right outside my office door. And so the mask does complicate life in 100 degree weather. It really does. Good to be kicking off on summer and looking forward to July 4th. And I think I am coming to New York in a couple of weeks. So I don't know if I'll see you, Rob, because it's, you know, there's no office to gather at, but I'll be out in the Hamptons for a party, which actually feels very the before times. Yeah, very forbidden. I know. Well, I want to tee up our next guest is someone that I connected with, I guess, about a month or two ago after doing an article for The Times. Um, she and I emailed and then we had a conversation. I just thought she was super interesting and had a lot of really interesting, different ideas about where the jewelry industry is headed. And her name is Casey Melvin. She's co-founder and co-CEO of The Future of Jewelry. That's a pretty ambitious name for a company. I think you'll see why she really talks about a lot of really future forward concepts. Casey, welcome. Hi, Victoria, Rob. Thanks for having me. Yeah, so you're calling in from Chicago today, is that right? I am from our loft office here in Chicago. We actually launched out of an incubator here, the 1871 Technology Incubator. We've since moved into a loft office, um, but that's where I'm calling in from today. The 1871 Tech Incubator, I hadn't heard of that. Are you the only jeweler there? No. So 1871, it's actually named after the year of the Chicago fire and when Chicago had kind of to rebuild everything. And they host all sorts of like early stage tech companies or even just entrepreneurs interested in the space. They even sponsor students there. But they offer like a 24-7 office that you can get into with like pods. You can take meetings and conference rooms. Part of the benefit is an early AWS credit. So there's little things like that. They help really early stage. So we were there for about a year before we expanded into our office right now. Well, so let's go back to the beginning because you definitely weren't in jewelry prior to 2016 or weren't thinking about jewelry, right? Tell us tell us about your background. You were in law school. Like a lot of startups, ours was founded on a personal experience. Back in the summer of 2016, my sister Nina and I, she was 24, I was 28. We just finished our first year of law school, just got done with exams, and we were due to study abroad at Oxford that summer for a semester of comparative law. And and that summer, we took advantage of every single thing we could. So in the summer of 2016, it seems like eons ago, but Airbnbs were really cheap. EasyJet had really low fares from the UK. So every weekend we could, we would try to take advantage of being in another country because we had never traveled abroad before. So one weekend in Spain, we were searching for a souvenir, like some sort of memento to mark the occasion. So we entered a small like family-owned jewelry store 
and my sister saw a plain gold signet ring in one of the cases. So she asked the jeweler to take it out and see if it fit her. And it was, it was way too big for her. She has very small fingers and I have bigger fingers. Uh, It ended up fitting me. And I said, you know what, Nina, don't worry. We bought this together. We'll be able to find you one online. We watched the jeweler like hand etch my initials on the face of it. And I just loved the ring so much. I never took it off. I showered with it. I just love the ring so much. So we go home for the summer. We go back to real life to our second year of law school. And for Christmas that year, I was going to surprise Nina with the ring that we had talked about and get her initials hand etched on it. So I start my search and I either find a really, really expensive one where the customization costs extra, there's no returns and there's limited sizing, or it was a really, really cheap one and they might offer six, seven, and eight. So neither of those are really good options for me. And I also noticed on a lot of the jewelry sites I was going on, their websites did not look like they were modernized. They looked actually like quite antiquated. And I approached my sister during break and I said, hey, Nina, don't you think that this is a type of product that other people would love because it's a custom product. It's one of a kind. People love personalized gifts. And so we both started doing research on it. What we found was there were avenues to make a signet ring platform using technology, including 3D printing to make mass personalized signet rings. So we started doing research about some manufacturers, some 3D print manufacturers, and a couple of them invited us to a 3D printing conference in Shanghai. And it happened to be our week of break for law school. We visited TCT, we looked at a lot of 3D printers, and we were thinking about buying one. But this is actually a funny story too. I reached out to Mark Cuban, a fellow Pittsburgher, um, when I first had the idea for this company. He responded and he said, like the idea, basically, but don't buy a printer outsource it. And so I was like, oh, that kind of makes sense. Because what I found was every year the 3D printers were getting cheaper, better, faster, everything every single year. So we partnered with different 3D print 3D print farms across the United States to outsource our manufacturing and focus on what was to be our core product, which is our Signet Ring 3D interactive customization platform on our website. You know, I might interject here just to say that I actually used, after we exchanged emails and spoke, I used that platform and I'm actually wearing the Signet Ring, the silver Signet Ring that I designed right now. It has my son's name on it and I love it. It feels like this little superhero ring that um, I wear on my pinky and I've always wanted a pinky ring and it was really, really easy. I mean, maybe that's the selling point. It couldn't have been easier. I'm not a designer. I don't have any expertise despite all the jewelry I've looked at over the years. Um, So tell us about the platform itself and how it works. So our platform is built for the non-designer. It was very important to us that you did not need to be proficient in 3D modeling, which is very complex, nor jewelry design. That was really important to us. So we really focused on our user interface being intuitive and user-friendly. So what our platform is, is a signet ring customization platform. So basically, you go into our site, we have 11 models of rings on our site, you select from one of the shapes, and then you're able to select the material.
material, generate any size, and I'm talking to the tenth of a millimeter, and then you get to customize the face and the bands, or just the face um, or any combination thereof. On the face of the band, you can add your initials, monogram, you can add your handwriting, and all of these things you can do and interact with the ring and visualize it in real time. It's supposed to be very straightforward like that. And then when the user has their design just right and they check out, on our back end, a 3D file is generated that we then use to produce your custom ring. And another cool thing about our platform is, is that the pricing is generated automatically and it's based on material volume and spot price of the precious metal. So you know you're not getting ripped off. Everything is very transparent. That was very important to us. And remind me, it's just silver and 14 karat at the moment. Is that right? 14 karat gold. That's correct. We have 14 karat rose, white, and yellow gold, which are solid. And then we also have solid sterling silver. And additionally, if you had a 3D printer at home and you wanted to 3D print a ring file, for $5 on our website, you can design a ring and download it instantly. So that, that's a digital product we also offer. Wow, have people taken advantage of that? Absolutely. During the pandemic, I got on Clubhouse and found a 3D printing community called Build Volume. It's a lot of 3D printing enthusiasts, people that use 3D printing in their job, or just creators, artists. A lot of them have used our site to just 3D print something. So yeah, absolutely. As Vic noted, it's a very attention-getting kind of ambitious name that you picked out. How'd you come up with the name The Future of Jewelry? So our original name, and actually we're incorporated as DeRigger Designs, LLC. So that was our original name. But my sister came across the Future of Jewelry um, domain and acquired it. We just thought that is going to be our differentiator. You know, we hold no inventory. We, we operate all online. We have all of these interactive tools that help make the jewelry buying and designing process easier. So I wanted to differentiate us in that way. And I felt like it really fit with the brand and what we were trying to accomplish. And could you see going beyond just signet rings? My sister and I always say that rings are probably the hardest thing because it's incorporating sizing and, and fit and different things that it's a little bit hard to do online. But once we really perfect this, we keep making upgrades and optimization. So I told my team, I want to make sure that we have this infrastructure in a nice, repeatable way before we expand to other products. But absolutely, this exact model could also apply to anything from tie clips to keychains to honestly anything in between. You know, when we spoke, you, you made an interesting analogy to how you think that your brand and this platform coexists with the larger industry. How does the future of jewelry in this online platform work within this larger world of a more much more traditional jewelry? So back in 2017, when we first founded the company, the word disruption, disruptor was a big buzzword, um, disrupting old industries, disrupting huge billion dollar companies with a young hotshot. And that's not how I view our company. What the future of jewelry strives to be, I think, is similar to what Southwest did in the 70s for the airline industry. Pre-70s, it was a lot of business travel, very formal, expensive. And then Southwest comes in, and first of all, they could avoid the, the government costs because they were operating only in Texas. But what happened to them was they created a whole new lane and kind of democratized travel at a lower price point. Southwest really just expanded the field. I'm not trying to take Tiffany's customers. I'm not trying to take Pandora's customers. I'm trying to differentiate ourselves in allowing the end consumer to be a part of the design process and creating special pieces of jewelry. When you think of your target consumer or your 
average consumer? What kind of person is it? I think it's a lot like my sister and me, 20s and 30s, entering the professional fields, having a little bit of disposable income, maybe for the first time and wanting to not just buy fast fashion or fashion jewelry that is in season for a year. They want to invest in pieces that stand the test of time, both in in quality and in style. Well, I don't need to tell you, signet rings have been around for thousands of years, literally from the pharaohs all the way to the queen of England have worn signet rings and they're not going anywhere. And how do you you attract most of your customers? How do they find you? We found a lot by word of mouth and micro influencers. We've seen good customer acquisition from that. We are also looking to expand into podcasts, sponsoring podcasts, because what we found with online advertising is that they're in control of the end customer. And I want to create direct relationships with my customer. We found that the customer acquisition for advertising on Facebook or Instagram. First of all, Facebook and Instagram don't want to direct people away from their app. So we're not a preset product on Instagram where you can buy a sweatshirt and just put the size in. You have to actually go to our webpage and design it and submit it. It just hasn't always worked out for us. Let's just say that. If you're a fan of podcasts, you know that listener reviews help make them possible. Please rate, review, and subscribe to The Jewelry District wherever you may listen. And now back to the show. I don't remember if I asked you this when we spoke earlier, but did you get funding from somebody? Do you have investors or is it just you and your sister uh, pooled your resources? Uh, So it's actually uh, my sister, Nina and me are the co-founders, but there's actually a third sister who also invested in us and she daylights as an orthopedic trauma surgeon, but she really believed in our idea and she contributed to this. This wouldn't be happening without her too. So it's really my sisters and me. And if you met us, you would not be shocked that we like to have things within our control. So if we could avoid it, we wanted to avoid having to fundraise. And also Mark Cuban gave us some advice about not fundraising just for the sake of it, which I think some companies engage in. Sometimes we've kept it in in the family, so to say. Well, I'm impressed just reading your bios. So you went to Princeton, your sister went to Brown and your other sister's an orthopedic trauma surgeon. Well done on your parents' part there. I'd love to hear your thoughts on where the future, as you see it, is headed. I mean, we obviously have talked about 3D printing, on-demand, no inventory, but you still cast your your rings traditionally, correct? They're designed and the the models are made in 3D printing, but what happens next? And, And might that process also be ready for a revamp, that traditional casting process? Absolutely. So what's really cool about our platform is the 3D file that's generated on the back end after the customer um, completes checkout, that file could go into any machine. It would work ubiquitously in any machine. So as machines get more and more accurate, we could expand into other machines. And we have, we've had samples printed and everything from directly into 316 stainless steel to we visited a company in the UK that was printing directly in gold without having the casting process. So we're going to be expanding into other printers and other supply chain methods as it makes sense for us. And have people gotten very creative with it, the idea, or is it mostly what you'd expect? Or has anybody come up with anything that's a little weird or strange? 
I've definitely seen some weird ones. People like scribbling devil and stuff like that. But what we're trying to do is basically give people ideas and inspiration of what type of ring they could have. So if you go on our site right now on the design page, we have something where you can go on a map, like on Google Maps API and select a location and the longitude and latitude will be generated and you can put that on a ring. And another one, you can put a date in and the Roman numerals will be generated on the ring. So we, we're we trying to add to the inspiration, like automated design apps so that you don't necessarily need to be Picasso or an artist or something to like do something special. And also we have a, a huge, um, I think there's 500 plus um, icons in our library that you can select from. What's the most popular of the icons? Some people use emojis. I would say that although the most common type of ring, I would say, is people like the classic monogram. And in our app, you can have your design either embossed or engraved. So like protruding or or with some of the material removed. And people love the engraving. But we're going to try to give some people some inspiration so that they can design the ring. I'll have to share you guys with the image of my ring, which I'm looking at right now. I like it because there's texture to it. So like it's almost become this little worry bead, you know, that I can sit there and finger the top of the ring because it got Nico's name and then material that's been carved out around it. I guess I'm always curious about how ubiquitous you think this kind of service offer will be across the jewelry industry and when. I mean, in five years, will every jewelry store have this option of getting your 3D model printed right then and there? Let's customize it. Let's do it in 10 minutes, either in store or online. I mean, is that something that we can expect you think to be ubiquitous very soon? Or do you think just from your experiences navigating this industry that that might be a longer time? I think that the arc is going to be a little bit longer. I know that there's jewelry companies with millions in inventory sitting in different warehouses and things like that. And they have an entrenched supply chain that includes crossing borders and things like that. So it's going to be hard to unravel that, I think, quickly, although it is in their interest. I think it's in all of the jewelers to minimize the amount of inventory they keep on their balance sheets. I think that's anyone would agree with that. Digitizing more of your inventory will make you more efficient. It will eventually get to that. And something we've we've been working on for a year is allowing other companies to integrate some of our tools, whether it be the 3D visualization or the model generation on the back end or the customization, the interactivity. We hope to offer those tools in a software product soon. Can you notice any difference between a 3D printed piece and a piece that's perhaps crafted uh, in more traditional ways, whether it's by machine or by hand? I could tell for sure. A machine piece usually has some sort of super sharp edge or something that clearly looks lasered or machined. You know, I've acquired an eye for it. I don't know that I necessarily had it before, but not to say that ours aren't clear. We have a pretty good resolution and you can ask Victoria. There's just some things that you know cannot be from 3D printing because it is just the perfect 90 degree sharp angle or an edge or something like that. Were you always interested in 3D printing or is this just something that you kind of got interested in when you became interested in jewelry. Yeah, I had no interest in 3D printing or really doing anything like this. And I think Nina would agree. But the one thing that I think we learned in law school was like how to deeply, deeply research a topic and really get the background. So we did that both for jewelry, looking through all the different ways jewelry is produced. And we also had to look into 3D printing because my sister and I, like I said, we didn't have unlimited money or some sort of funding. So we wanted to do this without having to buy some sort of massive 
massive inventory or make a huge upfront investment in molds or something like that. And the sizes then become limited if you hold inventory. So our flexibility has really become like part of our mission and part of our ethos. And I believe that ring sizes are a relic of mass production. Before the 18th, 19th century, when mass production began to take root, every piece of jewelry was custom. Every ring was fit to you. There wasn't some sort of preset sizes. That happened when the molds came. So I'm really marrying the past techniques and automating it with technology to kind of marry them together. And do you send out like a ring sizer? One of our first products that we worked on was a photogrammetry computer vision ring sizer. And we found that it wasn't accurate enough. So we never really pushed it fully. But we do have different tools that you can use to help your sizing along. So if you go to caliper, C-A-L-I-P-E-R dot the future of jewelry dot com and you have a hotel key or an ID, a credit card, anything with those rounded edges, that standard size card, we actually have a calibrated caliper where on the first screen you resize the digital card to match your physical card. So that's the calibration step. And then you press next and we have like a little caliper that you measure the diameter of your goal. So it's not perfect, but it is an estimation and it is a way to standardize helping people select their size. God, that's wild. And to what degree do you use AI and to what degree do you think you'll use it in the near future? Is it is it really revolutionizing what you do? So we haven't integrated anything in terms of product with AI, but I do think that there are ways that you could incorporate it, not just with product recommendation, because imagine, you know, going to a site and having like four or five pre-generated for you that you can select from and then edit or something like that. That's one way you could go. But another way is in AI is in like patterns. So being able to guess someone's finger size by knowing just one of their fingers, predictive sizing, things like that. That's a huge area where AI could be useful too. You mentioned you, you found a lot of the jewelry sites out there old-fashioned. When you came to design your site, what were some of the things that you tried to do? Well, at, at first, my sister and I, we were in law school. Neither of us have any coding experience. But in 2017, it was really like the app raise and everyone had an app. And what we found is it's expensive and complicated and there's a lot of bugs that happen when you have to parallel update an iOS and an Android app. It's expensive. You need more people with different skill sets. And it just seemed very complicated, although that was the advice that we were getting at the time. It was important to Nina and me, if it was possible, to make it available on our website. You know, there's a few shopping apps I have on my phone. I think like the ones almost everyone has. If it's somewhere I'm just making a purchase or two a year, I don't necessarily want to download that app on my phone. And that was kind of the ethos we were going into it with. So we pivoted in 2018 to taking our platform on the web making like a web app based platform. And there's other companies that have done similar things like Canva is a graphic design company and their platform is on the web. Their business model wouldn't work if they had to pay 30% out to to the app store. We saw that 30% is prohibitive and decided to pivot to web. And we are really happy that we did with our dev team, which is led by Thanos Syringelos. Um, we've been together for three years now. He is an expert at the WebGL and optimization and making it as fast and 
user friendly as possible. So I love the team that we've built, but it was important for us to go on the web. I know founders always hate these kind of questions, but what is the future of the future of jewelry? So we we look to expand and we're looking to get more brand recognition, including educating people about our application, because that's really our key differentiator. And just there's so many features to it that sometimes it's overwhelming to try to explain all of the different things that our app can do. So we're focusing on consumer education and expanding and also condensing our supply chain. So like you said, we have a couple of um, service bureaus that we work with and we worked really well with them. And I'm not even saying I want to cut those relationships and bring it all in house, but it would be nice to have an option for a condensed delivery date. Right now we're delivering within three weeks, which we're happy with and our customers are happy with, especially because it's a completely custom piece. It's a completely one of a kind piece, but we would like to improve on that. So the future of the future of jewelry may include a factory. I I can't think of another tool like the future of jewelry, but I do think it's coming. I do think all the big brands, the Tiffany's and the Cartier's must have something like that in the works. That sort of democratization of customization is a is a big story. And what was the average price point? Um, so our sterling silver signet rings, depending on the size and how many um, design areas you add, they start at around $90. And the 14 karat solid, say for like a size seven, it probably starts at 250 and goes up from there. Well, it's very accessible is I guess the, the takeaway there. And certainly the ring on my finger, pretty much anyone can buy, which is a really lovely thing. Well, thank you so much, Casey. Great to chat with you. Really interesting stuff. I really appreciate it, Robin. Victoria, thanks for having me. Stay well, stay healthy, everybody. Thanks for listening to The Jewelry District. I'm Natalie Comet, the producer of the podcast. Our editor is Riley McCaskill. If you liked what you heard, please rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast wherever you may listen. We hope you'll join us next time on The Jewelry District by JCK.